Well, if you have your Bibles with me, with you, would you turn with me, please, to the book of Zephaniah in the Old Testament? I'll give you a moment to find that. Uh, if you're working back from uh, Matthew, Malachi, it's up towards that end there. It's one of the minor prophets. Zephaniah chapter 2 and verses 4 to 7. Zephaniah chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, Gaza will be abandoned and Ashkelon left in ruins. At midday, Ashdod will be emptied and Ekron uprooted. Woe to you who live by the sea, O Kerithite people. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you, and none will be left. The land by the sea where the Kerithites dwell will be a place for shepherds and sheep pens. It will belong to the remnant of the house of Judah. There they will find pasture. In the evening they will lie down in the houses of Ashkelon. The Lord their God will care for them. He will restore their fortunes. Please keep the scriptures open there. Here's one to tell your children or grandchildren about uh, if they like The Mandalorian, which is a a Disney Star Wars uh, television program, uh, which has been very popular. The stuntman who plays Boba Fett, and I know that means nothing to most people looking at me now, uh, is actually a born-again Christian. Uh, A gentleman by the name of Bob Yakes, who, or Bob Yerkes, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, who's an, actually, he's 90 years old and he's still active uh, in the business and uh, is heralded as one of the legends. Uh, but Bob became a Christian by attempting to disprove the Bible. Back in the 1950s, he was uh, with Ringley's Circus as a circus performer, and he had a lot of time on his hands, and he said, my mum and dad had never taught me the Bible, I'd never read the Bible, so I thought I'd do a little experiment. He said, what I did was I bought uh, a Bible, and I bought a notebook and pen, and I decided to go through it and list all the contradictions. Well, this was what he said. He said, it took me a year and four months to get through it. And when I finished it, I said that this could not have been written by man unless they were God inspired. It just proved itself to me. As I read it, I knew that it was all true and it was God's word. He didn't find it was full of contradictions. He found it was full of Truth And the thing that, it, that spoke to him most, in, uh, most of all was the fact that the Bible has prophecy in it and speaks prophetically into the situations of the world. And he said this, he said, everything we're seeing happen today in the world is in there. Not vague prophecies, but detailed. So it's an amazing book. 
and as a believer, my ministry is in the entertainment world as that's the business where the Lord has put me. Well, what a lovely testimony uh, converted through the Bible. And as he said, the Bible is an amazing book. It speaks uh, prophetically. And he's absolutely right. It is an amazing book and it is prophetic in nature. That's why one man said years ago, give me a candle, give me a Bible, lock me away in a dungeon and I'll still be able to tell you what's going on in the world outside (laughs) because the Bible lays out the course of history. One pop star who is not a Christian as far as I know, but a a man in a heavy metal band by the name of Dave Mustaine said, for me, the Bible is tomorrow's newspaper today. And the prophetic element of the Bible speaks to people and is one of the ways God draws them into reading it and seeing its truth and seeing the gospel. And one of the things the Bible addresses is on the front page of everybody's newspapers right now today. And that is the situation in Gaza, in the Middle East. And it answers the question that everybody is keen to know. Will there ever be peace in Gaza? Will there ever be lasting peace in Gaza? And the good news, in short, to answer that question is, yes, there will be. And that's what Zephaniah prophesied in part. Now, Zephaniah uh, is a prophet who lived in the 7th century before Christ and uh, he's a very interesting character because he's one of the prophets who came from a unique background he was a grandson of King Hezekiah you can read that in the very first verse of his book so he had royal blood in him and there's not many of the prophets who were from a royal uh, descent Uh, But that didn't soften his punches because he preached what God gave him to say very faithfully. And he preached a very hard-hitting message. And his message was the same message, actually, as is found in the book of Joel. And it's the message of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. If you look in chapter 1 and verse 7, you'll see he says there, Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. In verse 14, the great day of the Lord is near. Verse 18, neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. And he carries on with that message right the way into chapter 2. And the day of the Lord is a, a term that is used in scripture for mighty acts of God in history Uh, which have a double emphasis. They have a a historical event in the the immediate, but they have a a message in terms of foreshadowing what is going to come in the last days. And Paul called the day of the Lord the period of time leading up to the Lord Jesus' second coming uh, in the book of Thessalonians. So the day of the Lord is... um, is a double vision thing, if you like it like that. And it speaks about the near future and the distant future in the same sort of events because history in God's plan often repeats itself. Now, his book isn't all bad news. It is about the day of the Lord and that's what over the, probably the first two-thirds of the book is about, but the last third of the book 
ends with a message of joy, not message of judgment. And the message of joy is that the Lord is going to reign in Jerusalem and he is going to put everything right. And that's the note that he ends on and uh, as a note of hope at the end of this book, which is how many of the prophets actually end their prophecies. They have a message that's, that's looking forward to the coming of the Lord and the day when Christ reigns as the Messiah and puts everything right. But in this first half or first two thirds, he deals with judgment on the nations in the day of the Lord. And in chapter 2, he goes around the points of the compass and he goes from one place in the north, uh, one place in the south, one place in the west, one place in the east. And he he picks out nations at the four points around uh, the land of Israel to say, judgment is coming to you, judgment is coming to you, judgment is coming to you, judgment is coming to you. And he's warning of the day of the Lord spreading to all the nations. If you have your, if you have a Bible has a full page for the whole chapter like I do. You can see that very easily. Uh, In verse 4 we have Gaza which is to uh, the uh, west of of Jerusalem. Uh, Then we have in the next passage verse 8 through to 11 we have Moab and Ammon which is to the east of Jerusalem on the other side of the Jordan what we call Jordan today in verse 12 we have the Cushites who are the Ethiopians down south and then he goes north to Assyria in verse 13 to the end and he goes around the points of the compass saying God's judgment is coming to you and serious things are going to happen and when he starts that uh, that that prophetic message of judgment around the clock as it were around the points of the compass he begins with Gaza in verse 4 Gaza will be abandoned and he prophesies a message of judgment and a message of hope side by side for Gaza and I want us to have a look at this today because this is absolutely relevant to what's going on in your world and mine and what everybody's talking about what is in the news what's in the media And you and I will either get our information from the television and the radio or we'll get our information from the Bible and be led by what the Bible says. So this is the difference between us and the world as Christians. And uh, I want us to see the two things that are mentioned here. The termination of Gaza in verses 4 to 5 and the transformation of Gaza in verses 6 and 7. So let's start off then with the termination of of Gaza in verse 4 and 5. Just start with verse 4. He says, Gaza will be abandoned and Ashkelon left in ruins and midday Ashdod will be emptied and Ekron uprooted. Now those four towns that he mentions there are four out of the five towns of the Philistines. If you know your Old Testament, you know there's the five lords of the Philistines mentioned in the book of Samuel. And they have five major towns in what we call today the Gaza Strip, but which has always been called Philistia. And by the way, here's a twist. The name Palestinian comes from the word Philistine. That's where it comes from. Uh, It was actually an insult that the Romans used against the Jews and they called their land Palestinia after uh, their enemies, their ancient enemies, the Philistines. And so uh, it was an insult. But that's where the name Palestine uh, is drawn from today. And that's 
it is, it is the land of the Philistines. Um, and you'll see there for the five cities, uh, beginning with Gaza at the bottom there, and then they go on up, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, and that one there, Gath. Now, Gath isn't mentioned in this prophecy uh, because Gath was under the uh, jurisdiction of the Jewish people, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 18 and verse 1. David had won Gath. Although this land had been given to the Jewish people in the land grant given to uh, Joshua in the book of Joshua, they hardly possessed it because the Philistines came and took those cities. And you say, John, well, who are the Philistines? The Philistines were a group of people who came from a place called Kaftor. Kaftor. If I just read to you a verse from the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 23, it says, And as for the Avites who live in the villages as far as Gaza, the Kaftorites coming out from Kaftor destroyed them and settled in their place. And there's lots of verses uh, in the Old Testament saying the same thing, that the people who are the Philistines came from Kaftor. Now, where's Kaftor? In, in our modern world today, Kaftor is Crete. They are people who came from Crete. And they were seafarers. And they settled on the coast there. Uh, as you can imagine, you know, coming across the sea, that was the, the place they landed. And they took those cities and they made them their strongholds. Um, and that's where the problem began for Israel in the Old Testament. Because as Israel came into the land that God had given them, and it was God's land to give to them, according to the book of Leviticus, um, they met with hostility from the Philistines. And the Philistines made raids into the land of Israel. And what we saw happen on October the 6th in the land of Israel is new to us, but it's not new to Israel. You go way back into the Old Testament, that was happening all the time. And that's why God raised up Samson to fight against the Philistines, and then God raised up David to fight against the Philistines. Uh, because these, are, uh, these were evil people who were doing that back in that day. And God gave here to Zephaniah a prophecy of judgment onto the land of the Philistines. And he mentions four out of the five towns listed there for judgment. Now, you won't see it in English, but in Hebrew, there's a play on words. And as each name has its own distinction, so the prophecy matches that name. The closest I could give it to you would be this, that God could say to the city of Bath, you're going to be washed clean. You see, it's a pun based on the name of Bath. Uh, if it, we were in America, Pittsburgh is going to be cast into a pit. And that's the sort of thing that is happening here in, in the prophecies. The word Gaza is the Hebrew word, Aza, A-double-Z-A-H, and uh, God says Gaza will be abandoned. The, the word for abandoned there is the word Azuba, A-Z-U-B-H-A-H. And uh, it means forsaken. Uh, you see it even more clearly in the word for Ekron, the one at the other end of that verse, uh, which means rooted. And God says you're going to be uprooted, <laughs> play on the name of Ekron. 
But that's actually uh, what was going to happen and what did happen when Nebuchadnezzar and others came and attacked. Ashkelon and Ashdod are harder to explain in English, but the terms uh, are similar to meaning fortresses and they are left without any defence in ruins and emptied. And God prophesied the termination of this land and this particular place, beginning with Gaza. Now, here's the trick for the Bible commentator. When was this fulfilled? When was this fulfilled? And uh, this is a key factor. And the fascinating thing is, we have one piece of evidence after another for different times in which Gaza and these cities were attacked by different nations. In Jeremiah chapter 47, we read how Pharaoh came against Egypt. And actually, one of these towns uh, where it says... um, I'm looking for the phrase. Uh, That's it, Um, because I I read this as well in the New King James. Uh, But in in verse 4, in the third sentence, it says, At midday, Ashdod will be emptied. And, uh, or at noon, it will be emptied, as it says in the, in the King James. And that means it's going to have a very short time. It'll be defeated in a very quick time, in half a day. Well, actually, King Pharaoh came and he waged war against it for 30 years. 30 years before he could get them to, to be defeated. But that was prophesied in Jeremiah 47, that these nations would come under judgment from Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He would, they were also prophesied to come under judgment by, in Isaiah 20 by Sargon, who was the uh, king of Assyria up in the north. And Assyria at the time of Zephaniah is on its way out. It's not long now before Assyria is going to fall. Assyria fell in uh, the year 612, August 612 BC. And this was given uh, just a few years before that. Um, But the Assyrians were going to come against those nations as well and did as we see. And in Zechariah chapter 9 we read a prophecy of Alexander the Great coming against this area as well and judging it and each one of these fulfillments came true pharaoh came destroyed it it got rebuilt uh, then uh, the assyrians came it got destroyed got rebuilt uh, alexander the great came after nebuchadnezzar it got destroyed uh, and and rebuilt and in the days of the new testament it was actually by and large uh, gaza itself was uh, a desert place you remember in the story of the ethiopian eunuch when he goes out to the desert near gaza Um, It hadn't really been properly inhabited again at that stage. But the point is this, that there are repeated prophecies of fulfillment and judgment, uh, uh, judgment and fulfillment on these nations, on these on these cities. And the day of the Lord prophecy is one which saying this is going to happen, but it's a picture of what's going to happen again, ultimately in the future. And just as the others prophesied, you would fall and be wiped out. So it will happen and again. And uh, it makes you wonder if that's what we're seeing start to happen now. Uh, Gaza will be abandoned. I mean, really and truthfully, you see what's happening on the news. You wonder how much more will go on uh, before Hamas surrender and, uh, uh, and what the final 
outcome will be. But it's a, a pretty devastating prophecy. Ashkelon will be left in ruins, Ashdod will be emptied, and Ekron will be uprooted. Now, that's the prophecy of judgment. But the question then comes is, why? Why will God do this? And why would God allow this to happen to the people of Gaza today? Well, I think we can draw three answers to that question. And especially in light of the current situation. First of all, because of their crimes. Because of their crimes. If you look in verse 5... It says this, Woe to you who live by the sea, O Kerithite people. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you and none will be left. Now that phrase, the Kerithite people, if you look in your uh, footnote, it'll say the Hebrew meaning for this word is uncertain. Nobody uh, uh, in, the, in the footnotes of the Bibles wants to say what it means. Uh, because it has an uncomfortable meaning, and it means executioners, and that's what they were. Uh, Gary Stearman, and unfortunately this didn't come out very clearly, but some of you will uh, be familiar with Gary Stearman, who's a, a Bible prophecy teacher in America. He said this about the term the Cherethites, Cherethites. The, this name is more of a description than a proper noun. In Hebrew, the term Kerethim are called executioners. I'm sorry, this is me. I, I, I made this PowerPoint on my other computer and transferred it and it hasn't come across uh, as clearly. So I'm going to read you the quote from the cutting. But it says uh, the name, this name is more a description than a proper noun. In Hebrew, the kerathim are called executioners. More properly, running assassins. This is an absolutely perfect epithet for a terrorist who specializes in killing the innocent. And you have to be honest, that is exactly what it is. And that's what Hamas, who rule the land of uh, Gaza, are. They are terrorists. And here's a fascinating thing. Okay, In the book of Obadiah, God said this to the uh, same people group. He says, because of the violence, and the word violence in Hebrew is the word Hamas. Because of the Hamas against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. So that's against the people of Edom, but uh, it is, uh, there's a connection with the people who are living in Gaza today. Um, because they're Jordanian Arabs, they're not Palestinians really. So God says very clearly he's against them because of their sins and their crimes, their acts of terrorism. And when you see the things that happened on the 6th of October, you can understand uh, God's, God's feelings of that, can't you? Um, you know, those babies that were beheaded, mother and Father, tied to a chair. Two children, tied to a chair next to them. Parents killed in front of the children. And these are, these are you know, just some of the things. The, the, the hundreds of young people who were killed at the concert. And then their bodies were taken back to Gaza to be abused. The young girl on the back of that pickup truck. If you've forgotten all this, go and look at the horrible videos, if you dare, on YouTube again. And see the girls who were raped 
They were walking with blood between their legs because that's what jihadists do. Jihad is, involves raping women, sowing your seed into the Jew and then taking them back and they're in hostage now. So who knows what terrible things are happening. I don't know what that does for you. I mean, this is, uh, uh, this is not the first time either. You know, back in, I think it was 2014, a group from Hamas came across the border, entered a Jewish family house, killed the, mo- killed the father and the two boys in their bed, slit their throats in their sleep, waited outside the bathroom. The mother came out of the bathroom and then killed her. God sees that. God sees that. God said uh, about the blood of Abel crying out to him from the ground. The blood of these Jewish people who have been murdered in such a terrible way comes up before him. And so he says, woe to you who live by the sea, O Kerethite people. And it was the same back there. And he calls them Canaan, which is interesting because they're not Canaanites. They never were. The Philistines weren't Canaanites. But they practiced the sins of Canaan. And they came under the judgment of Canaan just as surely as uh, they lived in the cities of Canaan. And so God said, I will destroy you and there'll be none left because of their crimes. But also because of their charter. Because of their charter. Now, this is something that uh, a lot of people forget. But Hamas is not a terrorist organization. It is a democratically elected government. And the people of Gaza in 2006, in fair elections, voted for Hamas into power. The majority did. So when you hear on the news that, you know, the poor old people of Gaza, and you think to yourself, you know, they're all suffering because of a minority, just a handful. Remember, they voted them in power. They voted them in power. And in fact, if you go on Wikipedia, as I did this morning, uh, you can read about the Hamas Charter, and it makes no bones about it uh, that it is an annihilationist uh, charter. Hamas, this is, I'm reading this now from Wikipedia, Hamas published its charter in August 1988, wherein it defined itself as a chapter of the Muslim Brotherhood, and that's where they began, with the Muslim Brotherhood down in Egypt, and its desire to establish, quote, an Islamic state throughout Palestine. And what they mean by that is the land of Israel. So in other words, the whole land of Israel is to become Palestine. You see, this is the thing. They don't want peace with Israel. They want peace without Israel. Israel's not to exist. And uh, according to Wikipedia, it says it contains both anti-Semitic passages and characterizations of Israel's society as Nazi-like. Um, and it goes on, and the, the article says, the charter rejects a two-state solution, which is what everybody says, you know, why can't we have two states, one for the, uh, for the Palestinians and one for the Jews? Well, actually, that was already done when they divided up the land that was given to Israel in the Balfour Declaration, and they created Jordan. That was the Palestinian state that they gave them. They took away from the land originally promised to the land of Israel. But uh, Israel has said, we'll give you a two-state, but they don't want it. And the charter says uh, that the conflict cannot be resolved, quote, except through jihad. So it has to be done by murder. It has to be done by killing off the Jewish people. 
uh, goes on. It says the violent language against all Jews in the original Hamas charter is anti-Semitic and has been characterized by some as genocidal. The last point in the, uh, in the Wikipedia article on this page says it rejects the Oslo Accords and affirms Hamas commitment to, use, to the use of force. It also claims to support democracy, but Hamas has still never had an election since 2006. So their charter is against the Jewish people. And remember Genesis chapter 12, God's covenant with Abraham. Those who hate you, those who come against you, I will come against them. And in Zechariah 12, he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. So here's the third reason. And this is perhaps the hardest one of all. Because of the children. Because of the children. And you know, we're hearing an awful lot on the news about the, about the children who have been affected by the bombing and things like this. And I'm sure they are. Uh, this is the hardest thing for me to preach about because I love children and I love children's work. Uh, you know, I love the work of the gospel among the children and I have children of my own. When you see the children of Hamas, you've got to understand they're not like the children who come to our Sunday school. The children of Gaza have been made terrorists already. This is a cutting from uh, the British Church newspaper and it is uh, a report uh, by an organisation called the Institute for Monitoring Peace and Cultural Tolerance in School Education, IMPACT for short. And it's uh, a non-profit, non-political, international, non-governmental organisation dedicated to fostering peaceful relations between peoples and nations. And they did a report on the children in, in Gaza and in uh, the, the Gaza Strip. And this is what they said. It says, a recent impact report reveals that Palestinian children educated in schools supervised by the United Nations Relief and Works Agency. So these are children in UN supervised schools. Quote, are being brainwashed into believing that Israelis are enemies who must be annihilated, end quote. The article goes on and says, according to the report in school books, Palestinian terrorists are portrayed as heroes and children are explicitly called to follow their example. In classrooms, children are taught to regard terrorists as celebrities and are encouraged to liberate, quote-unquote, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which, which amounts to a clarion call for violence. And this has been known for years, that the boys in, in Gaza, they go to summer camps. But they're not summer camps like your children would go to. They're summer camps where they're taught, and they get the autographs of famous terrorists. So all those little children who are being affected, it is terrible. But the real crime is not Israel fighting back against Hamas. The real crime is what Hamas has done to their own children. You know, Golda Meir said this. She said, we can forgive the Arabs for killing our children. 
but we can't forgive them for making us kill theirs. And then she said this, we will have peace in the Middle East when the Arab mothers love their children more than they hate the Jews. And she's exactly right. And that's the situation. And God sees that. And uh, you remember what the Lord Jesus said, better to have a millstone tied around your neck than lead one of these little ones astray. And that's why God's judgment will come on Gaza. And I've got to tell you this, dear friends, because this is what you will never hear in the news, but it is what you find in the Bible. And we've got to have the biblical worldview if we're going to uh, understand the situation and not be swayed by the Western media. One commentator said this, and I think they're right. The Western mediators, the Western media, sorry, are basically Iranian proxies. You think about that. You know, we all know Hamas and Hezbollah, they're, Western, they're Iranian proxies. Well, so are our media. They're doing the work of the anti-Semites for us and spreading the discord that we're seeing in the world today. So it's a very serious thing. And the termination of Gaza is prophesied. But let's lift it, shall we? Let's come to the second point, which is the transformation of Gaza, which is in verses 6 and 7, the second half of this prophecy. And the good news is that it doesn't end with the bad news. <laughs> it says this in verse 6, The land by the sea where the Kerethites dwell will be a place for shepherds and sheep pens. It will belong to the remnant of the house of Judah, there they will find pasture. In the evening they will lie down in the houses of Ashkelon. The Lord their God will care for them. He will restore their fortunes. And the good news is the land is going to be restored when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. Now some Bible commentators say, oh, well, this was all fulfilled when the Jewish people came back from exile from the captivity in Babylon. But that's not true. I read a very helpful thing in Lance Lambert's book, Battle for Israel, about Ashkelon in particular. And he tells about how uh, Gaza was abandoned, and that's why it was still like the desert uh, in, the book of, um, uh, in the book of Acts. But also that Ashkelon and these other cities weren't inhabited. They were seen as unclean by the Jewish people. And uh, Ashkelon bit, did become inhabited, but it was inhabited mainly by the Gentiles. And Ashkelon was where uh, King Herod is said to have been born. And so the Jewish people didn't like it and didn't want anything to do with it. And even in 1948, when the Israelis took the land back uh, as it was given to them by the UN, they didn't steal it, it was given to them by the UN, um, as their homeland after the war, uh, they didn't, still didn't inhabit Ashkelon. It wasn't until the 1950s, uh, and with the help of African Jewry, that they were able to rebuild Ashkelon. But ultimately, these prophecies will be fulfilled in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's Zephaniah's note of hope that he ends on in this book. Uh, if you look across to chapter 3 and verse 15, and he speaks here about the Jewish people as well, because he also prophesies the Jewish people coming under judgment for their sins too. 
But he says in verse 15, The Lord has taken away your punishment and turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. And uh, he goes on and talks about the time of restoration down in chapter 319. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame and gather those who've been scattered. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they were put to shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes. That's a, a, a repeat of what he says at the end of verse 7. I will restore their, he will restore their fortunes to them. And the land that was never fully inhabited except under the reign of David will again come back to the Jewish people. And it will become a place for the shepherds. And there will be peace in Gaza in those days. And that's the note of hope we have for the future. It is going to be rough. But there will be peace in the end. And that peace will come at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when Christ comes back, he's going to come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's going to come back and claim this world as his, because it is his. And when he died on the cross, he paid for Adam's sin and the curse of Adam's sin to be removed. There's a beautiful picture of this in what we were talking about last week with the Day of Atonement. You remember what we were doing about the blood in the bowl and the priest would take the blood to the Ark of the Covenant. But you know, he would put the blood on the mercy seat where it would be the inside underneath the mercy seat of the Ten Commandments. And it was like covering the sins against the Ten Commandments, the breaking of God's law. But the rest he would pour out on the floor in front of the Ark of the Covenant, which is God's throne. And where God's feet go. And it's prophetic of the fact the blood of Jesus wash away our sins and going to restore this fallen world by the power of his death on the cross. And it's a wonderful hope that you and I have for the future. And so there will be a transformation and there will be a glorious day to look forward to when Gaza is restored. The question I want to ask as I bring this to a close today is... Not only will there ever be peace in Gaza, and will there ever be peace in Jerusalem, yes there will be, but will there ever be peace in you? Because you also are at war with God until you turn to Jesus Christ, and you also need to be forgiven and restored and made right with him. And the one who's coming back to reign is the same one who can make your peace with God for you. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, says Romans 5. And I would urge you, if you've not yet done so, to turn to him and know his peace with God that he can bring you. Thank you for bearing with me this morning.